Hello and welcome to the Tuesday, October 3rd, 2023 episode of the Musical Universe of Professor Hurst. This is Craig W. Hurst, Emeritus Professor of Music, podcasting from my music bunker, along with my faithful canine companion, Carmel the Wonder Dog, to share with you my latest musical interests and discoveries. I claim no special inside information about the latest or greatest music, nor do I know everything there is to know about music. What I am is a lover of music. I enjoy several genres of music, and I share with you what has currently caught my interest, old, new, outdated, and everything in between. Even old music is brand new if you have never heard it before. The universe of music is a vast one to enjoy. From my discussions, you might find something new to you and of interest to expand your own musical universe. I currently receive no compensation or motivation of any kind from any recording label, recording artist, or the estate of any performer or composer dead and gone to discuss their music and or recordings. Now with that out of the way, welcome to my musical universe. My guest today is jazz trumpeter Zachary Finnegan. Zach Finnegan was raised in Weston, Wisconsin, and currently resides in Chicago, Illinois. His music has consistently dealt with the merger of spirituality, groove music, cinematic elements, and aspects from the jazz tradition. Zach sees himself as a lifelong learner in all facets of life, including music. His love for music came at a young age. His father, Joseph Finnegan, instilled a passion for the arts as his band teacher for four years beginning in the sixth grade. Zach received a master's degree in jazz performance from Indiana University under the guidance of John Raymond and Joey Tartell. He received his bachelor's in music education and jazz performance from the University of Wisconsin, Stevens Point, under the guidance of Matthew Buckman, Brent Turney, and Patrick Lawrence. Zach has enjoyed a variety of musical journeys with work in performing, composing, education, recording, and entrepreneurship. Zach has played professionally alongside John Raymond, Carrington Clinton, Rob Dixon, Vince Mendoza, Thomas Walsh, Pat Harbison, Brent Turney, Jeremy Allen, Joe Galvin, Joel Tucker, Ryan Korb, Nick Tucker, John Greiner, The Buddy Rich Big Band, Leonard Simpson, Camilla Mennett, Matt Ullery, Jared Thompson, and Tim Albright, among others. Through his collegiate studies, he has had the pleasure of sharing the stage with artists such as Matt Wilson, Walter Smith III, Michael Rodriguez, Tim, Ty, Tim Green, Michael Dees, Rufus Reed, Jim McNeely, 
Rodney Whitaker, and Brandon Lee. Zach is a founding member of Omnos Quartet, Crossroads Quintet, and part of the Indianapolis-based hip-hop jazz fusion band Clint Breeze and The Groove. As a performer, Zach's groups have played multiple festivals, most notably opening for Dave Liebman and the New Light Quartet at the Riverfront Jazz Festival in 2017. Additionally, the Zachary Finnegan Quintet has also opened for Janet Planet at the Bull Falls Festival Jazz Festival in 2018 and opened for the Jeremy Allen Trio at the Taste of Bloomington in 2019. He has also played as a sideman at Treese Hip Hop Festival, Ear Taxi Festival, and Feast of the Lanterns Festival. Zach began a group in Bloomington, Indiana, entitled Crossroads Quintet. Their debut EP release occurred at the 2019 B-Town Jazz Festival, and their debut album, Intertwined, released in May of 2020 on the Midwest Crush music label. Zach's first group, Omnos Quartet, recorded there at Daly's Restaurant and Wine Bar in December 2018 in Wausau. Wisconsin. Additionally, Zach has traveled as a solo guest artist with the 2018 Wisconsin Ambassadors of Music Tour to seven European countries, featured in various venues across Europe. His composition entitled Hugh was featured on a Jazz Studies promotional video for the University of Wisconsin Stevens Point in 2016. Zach was the manager of the groups. Omnos Quartet and Crossroads Quintet, as well as currently assisting Travis Lee, Clint Breeze and the Groove, and his own freelance career in Chicago. Understanding and functioning within the business side of music has been a passion of Zach's for some time, and has proved to be a positive aspect on his musical journey. Zach has proved to be comfortable leading new projects, from creating bands to working with organizations within the community. Zach was the president of the Jazz Society of UW-Stevens Point for two years. This outlet allowed the student organization to host guest artists, plan events, host jam sessions, and attend professional jazz concerts in Illinois and Appleton, Wisconsin. This experience at UWSP stemmed similar outcomes as Zach transitioned to Indiana University as he began leading the Jacobs School of Music Jazz Education Network student chapter. This partnership allowed students to access national and international music resources. Simultaneously, Zach was appointed as one of four interns for the Project Jumpstart team through the Office of Entrepreneurship and Career Development at Indiana University. This office allowed him to promote and collaborate on fellow students' creative projects, host events with guest artists, build a positive and uplifting environment for fellow students, and put him in a position to lift up the arts community of Bloomington, Indiana. These academic organizations stemmed into Zach being proactive in the communities he has been part of. 
In 2019, Zach became the newest member of the B-Town Jazz Organization's Board of Directors as the social media director and coordinator for the 2019 B-Town Jazz Festival. Similar, he held a position with the Central Wisconsin Symphony Orchestra as the jazz intern, where he worked with the local Boys and Girls Club and curated a jazz listening session at a local art gallery. Zach has previously been on the staff at the Wausau Conservatory of Music as the trumpet artist. He taught private lessons and camps as well as master classes to any and all ages. Education plays a huge role in Zach's life. He has worked at multiple jazz institutes across the country, including the Skidmore Jazz Institute, Brevard Jazz Institute, Birch Creek Jazz Program, and the Madison Summer Music Clinic. Currently, he has a private trumpet studio through PCCC Arts and is on staff at Jazz Empowers and Band for Today in Chicago, Illinois. He looks continuously for outlets to spread the knowledge of music to younger students and create a healthy environment for learning and creativity. It is my pleasure to welcome to my musical universe, Zachary Finnegan. Hello, Zachary. Greg, thanks for having me. You bet. It's really great to talk with you, and I've been looking forward to having you as a guest on my show. You know, one of the things that impresses me is uh, from reading your uh, your bio is that uh, you have done a tremendous variety of performing in uh, in your career. Now, one place I'd like to focus first, and that's because I've already uh, interviewed almost the entire trombone section from the Michael Bublé tour. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> Nick Alton and... Uh, Oh, I'm, the third name is escaping me. But anyway, but now I get to hear another trumpet player's perspective. And so what I'm curious to know about is to is for you to talk with us about touring with Michael Buble, the book you play on the band and the challenges of playing on tour, on a tour like uh, with Michael Buble. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, thanks for thanks for having me again, and I'm excited to talk about all this stuff today. Um, with regards to the tour, first and foremost, I'm just eternally grateful for the opportunity. It's been um, one of the privileges of my of my career, of my lifetime, and I've gotten to see the world and play music. I mean, I really can't ask for anything more. Um, in the band, I play the third trumpet spot. Um, Jean Cause plays second trumpet and Jumani Smith plays first. And I'm and I've learned so much from them because they've been on the band. Jumani's been on it, I believe, 19 or 20 years now. And Jean is coming up on 10 or 11 years, something like that. And so just the wealth of of time spent in the band and kind of showing me the ropes as one of the new guys has been um, they've really they've really helped me with that. And so I, I'm very grateful to them. Um, but yeah, that you, you asked me about um challenges of the tour and things that things that are uh, can you can you ask that again it's, sure it, i mean well i'm 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 you know uh you, you know i i'm interested in you know the challenges of playing on a tour like uh like at the level of touring sure. with someone like michael buble and yeah. uh, and maybe some of the challenges of of the particular book that you play and and uh, just being a you know a working musician in that particular context. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Great. Um, 
You know what? I, I absolutely love playing third trumpet because it doesn't wail screaming high, but I still get better at the trumpet and then I get to play a couple solos. So I'm so grateful for sitting in the third chair uh, because it feels like it's just bread and butter. Great. It's a, such a great job to have in the band. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so, so I think a few challenges when it comes to uh, playing in the band um, is it's a, it's a big band format. And I mean, as a jazz trumpeter and learning throughout my whole life about playing jazz, I've never, um, I should say, I, I play in clubs, I play outdoors sometimes, I play in bars and restaurants in like smaller theater venues, kind of things like that. I've never played in arenas before and mm. I never played in stadiums before. And I've also never played big band jazz with in-ears in. Um, and so the, those are the, the, when I first joined the band, those specific challenges of just the space we're playing in. Also, you know, having, having headphones or, you know, you know in-ears in really changed the sonic space as to how you kind of fit and balance together. Because it completely changes the way you hear, obviously. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And we have, we have an audio, um, a handful of audio people that we can help that can help us with our individual mix and hey can you turn jumani up can you turn jean up can you turn the drums stuff like that and you can ask for things like that and all of us in the band are consistently tweaking those mixes so that we can best hear and support what michael is doing out front and also just support the band in general um and so those i think those are the the specific first challenges and like the space is so large. I mean, most big bands aren't playing in arenas. I think we're one of maybe the only bands in the world that does that, where we mm -hmm. play big band in an arena. And so that's a different thing because though the in-ears like block most of the sound, um, you know, it's a it's a loud it's a loud um, band. We have huge speakers and things like that, mm -hmm. and it's a long space. And so we'll play a note and we'll hear it back, you know, three or four seconds later when it bounces off the back wall and comes back to us. And so there's. There's a there's definitely a sonic difference than when I play, you know, big band gigs here in Chicago. Um, that mm -hmm. makes it challenging, definitely very challenging at first. It's something that you obviously get used to throughout the time that you're playing in the band. Um, so that I would say those are the those are the challenges on the gig. The other challenges that come along with is trying to find a practice space in a hotel room <laughs> or a hotel that's really hard. And so I'm always like uh, going down to the front desk and bothering them and say, Hey, do you have a meeting room open? Do you have a ballroom open? Things like that. Right, just like right. on my face um, every single day while I'm on sure. tour as a working musician, not only am I trying to get better for the gig that I'm currently on, I'm also practicing for gigs that are booked, you know, back home or mm -hmm. booked you know, in advance or whatever that may be, whatever I need to work on in that moment. I need to get the, my horn, my my face on the horn every day, yeah. um, and that's something we all do, and that's something I'm very inspired by, by being in the band. Like I said, Jumani and a handful of other people in the band have been in the band, been in that band for 20, 20 years, 15, 20 years. Mm -hmm. Yet every single one of them, which is so inspiring to me, practices diligently every day. Mm -hmm. They haven't they haven't cashed it in because they got the best best gig. Mm -hmm. They're still like very, very consummate professionals. And it's so inspiring as one of the younger guys in the band to see the work ethic surrounded by me in that group. It's so, a reason why they're there, you know? Yeah, well, I think that's, that's you know, it's always you know, inspiring to sit in and play with people who, um, who are, you know, really fine professionals. Uh, right. it, I think it raises your own personal bar and and oh, you yeah. even and I think in in many cases 
it's you you rise to the occasion you know uh, I guess what I'm hearing you say is that uh, using a practice mute or Yamaha silent brass isn't always a, a good everyday option. You've got to hear the live sound. Yeah, and and like I do have I do um, travel with a with a silent oh, yeah. brass. I have to because there are moments where you're in an airport all day, or you're in a, you're in a hotel that's a little tiny hotel that doesn't have space, or and it's the winter, so I can't go to a park and play open. So there mm-hmm. are moments, there are moments where I have to use the silent brass. Um, however, if I do that every day, like tuning goes out of whack and and mm-hmm. overall pressure, the, 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 it's a great product and in a in a oh, bind, yeah. absolutely, absolutely. But yeah. uh, more often than not, I'm trying to find spaces, and that's kind of a last resort. Sure. Yeah, I can I can understand that. I mean, I've I've used those. You know, I've well, I have a whole plethora of practice mute kind of things i guess i i the most unique one i have i i've had for i don't know how long but it's like it looks like a straight mute and then it has a tube that comes out to uh earpieces like on a doctor's stethoscope oh <laughs> wow I, i've good. probably had that thing for about 30 years you know and it's wow. and it works really pretty well but there nice. is you know i think that uh if there's any good piece of advice that can go out to uh uh, our younger, any younger listeners, is there, you, you, you know, what you really have to think about when you're practicing and please feel free to agree or disagree, but I think this is where you're coming from is that, uh, you're, what we're really working on first and foremost is our sound. And you've got to hear the sound that you're making, not some modified sound coming through a practice mute or an electronic, you know, like, uh, silent brass or something like that those are excellent fallbacks but they're still not a a real replacement for hearing that and in a nice big room too you know i I, we all have heard that term you have a practice room sound yeah right you know what i mean because as musicians you know we're we're insane enough to where we're willing to spend hours and hours and hours in this little room with nothing but a chair and a music stand and maybe a an old upright piano, you know, that's what right. we had in music school exactly. and, uh, and getting out of that and, and, and blowing. Well, your description of playing in an arena sounds to me almost like it would be very similar to the experience of, of playing on a recording in a studio where you're basically listening through, through headphones to everybody's sound and, and, right. but it must be a little bit weirder if if I can say that because you're really playing in a live environment and you can still hear, I I can't imagine you're hearing a lot of it, but you're probably still hearing like uh, crowd noise, uh, other kinds of things that are going, going on and around you. Oh yeah. And uh, that must just require, you know, when you're on the gig must just require a super sensitive or a heightened level of concentration. Yeah. Uh, and focus because because you would have i mean in, in an arena of course you know i i don't know because i haven't been there but i imagine they, most everything's blacked out except for the stage and the spotlight yeah. on michael and all that so maybe crowds are not a big deal i don't know it's sort of like major league baseball players you know they ask them so the sound of the crowd don't it bother you he said, i don't even hear them right, you know, right. The pros are pro professionals are so focused on what they're doing you know they're not hearing the hearing somebody give, you know, talking smack about them behind their back from the stands. You know what I'm saying? 
Right. Yeah. yeah. I, 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 uh, I think um, people have asked me this question before, and I always say the job doesn't change. The job is always the same, and yeah. you're expected you're expected to do this. Like the product is going to sound like this, regardless of how big the room, how small the room. If you're in a stadium, if you're in a theater, the job's the same. And so, um, but yes, that the experience. Like if if you were in the crowd, for example, your experience is wildly different than my experience because I have so much sound blocked out, and I'm doing my job, and I'm so focused on what need what I need to do that um, that like the like the crowd definitely I I really enjoy that's a that's a very joyful experience for me watching mm -hmm. people in the crowd just having the time of their life dancing and crying and laughing and it's really special it really really is special to be in that environment and also to be in that environment and have jazz music do that um, have that emotional response for thousands of people it's very much still alive when people have asked when people have said like oh you play jazz music isn't that dying or whatever whatever the case it's like i i see it very differently i'm in a i'm in an arenas and we're filling arenas and stadiums with thousands of people to play this music. So yeah, I, I definitely mm -hmm. contradict that, that uh, sentiment for sure. Yeah. That's, that's, that's exciting. You know, I, I'm curious to ask you, you know, your perspective. I have played a few of Michael's charts, mm -hmm. you know, ones that have been published and they're out there. And I, I play, yeah. you know, in a, in a sub and a few big bands in the area and they'll, you know, pull out, uh, you know, one of the arrangements that he uses. Now, Michael sings standards, mm -hmm. but the arrangements he use, uses are anything but standard. Right, right. I, I mean, that's the thing I look at. And I think, wow, I mean, you know, you're getting ready to play a tune that you think you know, and it takes just some interesting twists and turns, either rhythmically or key changes right. or... Right. or or that sort of thing and and maybe you could speak to that a little bit in terms of of just a, a challenge uh playing on on michael's band uh yeah. versus having played you know a, a similar or i mean an arrangement of of the a same tune or in a different context yeah um that's uh yeah that's that's very real because we do play a lot of standards um yeah one example that jumps right to my mind is we just did this tour, the higher tour, and he sang um, the tune L-O-V-E. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, which all everybody knows. And we were playing it in the standard version. And, and um, then one day, and this is this is with any singer. This is not just him. But he comes in and he goes, you know, last night and, and throughout, it, it was like maybe a month into the tour or something. He goes, last night. I, I just, I feel like I need this, this to be in a different key. Can we take it up a half step? Mm -hmm. And, and I mean, we're, I'm around surrounded by just incredible musicians and that all of us just like instantly snapped and we, we, we are reading that we're like kind of reading the mm -hmm. part, but we didn't rewrite the part. We just played it up a half step. Yep. And then Lejean's playing that second trumpet part where it has that solo in it in the, in the middle of the tune. And he, it goes from, it went from, I think it went from like RG major or something to like a flat major. I, it changed the key where it made it really mm -hmm. a lot mm -hmm. harder on top of the play. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of second and third valve combinations. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and Jean just like, just did it right there, but it's something that's, that also keeps it really exciting and fresh too, I think. Mm -hmm. So all the mm -hmm. different arrangements of, of standard tunes. Um, I really love his take on it because it's just not, 
what I've, it's not what I've done before. It's something new. It's something exciting. It's something fresh. And so I, I really enjoy the little twists and turns. And I also think that goes a lot to him and his musical voice and what he hears because he's very much involved in the writing process of all his music. And then also the arrangers that he's working with are very incredible arrangers. And so, um, yeah, they just have these like seamless, but also like quirky and like catch you off guard sometimes like key changes which are fun fun to yeah. find well and i tell you and it's a great skill i mean i of course we all encourage our students not only learn all your all your scales and all keys and and right. modes and so forth but right. uh, learn tunes in all keys i can't remember i think it's scott belk who's at uh, cincinnati conservatory and has that is writes those wonderful lip slur books i i don't right. know if you're familiar with this stuff but oh yeah Oh, yeah, it's such good. Anyway, I remember he posted on Facebook something about how he uh, he felt like he needed to uh, to kind of free himself up a little bit. So he started lear learning Charlie Parker's uh, Donna Lee in all 12 keys. Oh, yeah, I saw that. That's right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I and, and I thought I thought, oh, my gosh, that tune's hard enough to play in the key it's written in. I right. can't. Could you imagine, you know, and then the other thing I, I, I've, I've, I'm curious to know, because you're a Wisconsin guy. Right. And and uh, and uh, and I've lived in Wisconsin for a good long time. But have you ever played a Polish polka gig? Oh, yeah. Oh, OK. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So, you know, you know how challenging that could be on trumpet because right. the button concertina can only play in either a or right. e concert. Right? right. Which are the right. two most wonderful keys for the trumpet play in the key of B or F sharp. <laughs> right. I remember right. my I remember my baptism of fire with that. Oh, my gosh. I Because I. I was a total neophyte and a, and a, and a former student of mine yeah. uh, had a polka band and got us booked to play at the uh, festival in Pulaski mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. uh, riding the parade and all that kind of stuff. And I'm, and I'm getting the book and I'm like, Oh my gosh, everything's in B and F sharp. What is, you know, right. Which, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, but those are the kind of challenges that we, we, I think as musicians, we love. Right, a big band I I played with. I don't play with them much. I don't play with them at all anymore. Come to think of it, because of schedule conflicts. One of the reasons I love play love playing with that band is because there were two guys on the band that wrote for the band. Mm -hmm. So you'd come in and and uh, and these guys were very creative, and they were writing uh, fresh arrangements, sometimes of standards, sometimes of uh, uh, you know rock tunes whatever you know but it was new music written in a different way instead of you know going out and playing bassy straight ahead again right. you know right. yeah uh, which is a wonderful piece of music i'm not knocking bassy but but uh you know i just think that as musicians and creative artists we hunger for new challenges and new sounds Absolutely. So yeah. it's kind of cool that that uh, you know Michael coming. Oh, just put up a half a step. Yeah, no problem. Got it. Exactly. Right. I've done. I've done my transposition studies. I I can. Right. I think I I could do that. You know. Right. <laughs> it's pretty cool. It's pretty exciting. Keeps it fresh. You know? <laughs> well, I would think so. You know, I often heard stories about Harry Connick, Jr. Mm -hmm. with his big band, and he had everything. Of course, all all uh, hardwired all of his musicians were reading off of uh you know ipads and uh on the stand you know and and he had the ability in real time to go in and make any changes to the, any of the arrangements 
in the moment, you know, but then of course it'd be written out there for you. It wasn't like you had right. to do the, you know, right. the transposition yeah. part, but that's, that's pretty cool. Right. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, I, I'm envious. That sounds like just a gas playing with that band in those kind of arenas because, uh, uh, and, and with the quality of musicians you're playing with. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's it's just income true. That's for sure. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I imagine it's, uh, it's gotta be just huge for you. Well, let's shift gears. Cause I know you're also involved in a lot of other musical projects, either yeah. as a leader or as a side man. And mm -hmm. uh, would you talk about those and then, uh, and also include how the performing challenges change from one group to another? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, right now, um, people ask me, what do you play? What do you do? And what I tell people is I, I, or what kind of music do you play? And I, I say, I play the music that pays. And so whatever pays, <laughs> play, you know? And so right now, yeah, just full-time freelancing in Chicago. Um, currently I'm playing with a handful of bands, uh, Camila Manite quintet or quartet, um, Alan Gressick swing orchestra that plays every Thursday at the mill. I've been subbing a lot with them, uh, the green mill that is. Yeah. And then, uh, I play in this hip hop band called Clint Breeze and the Groove. I play with a, just a handful of other like small groups around town. And also I'm like heavily involved in what we call the jobbing scene, which is the wedding scene for the most part here. Yeah. And so, um, and that's usually Friday, Saturday, all summer, you know, mm -hmm. uh, weekend. and so, I mean, all of those uh, require a, a different skill set. And I th I'm very grateful for the education that I had growing up from in high school and, and junior high and middle school and then in, into college and then into my master's degree. And really throughout that whole time, as I look back, now I'm realizing, you know, now that I'm out on the scene and doing it for a living, is that all those, all those experiences and all those things that I went through in school were, were preparing me to be as versatile of a musician as possible when I mm -hmm. got out. Mm -hmm. so I'm able to jump into a hip hop band or a small group thing or a wedding thing or a big band thing and be able to just fit the sound and know what that sound is mm -hmm. and then give the, give the band leader what they want. And I think um, that that's a skill that's difficult and something that you actually, you very much have to be conscientious about and work towards. And so when I think about challenges, I, I mean, individually, I love improvising and my whole life I've been like really deep into studying the art of improvising as a trumpet player. Something that my ear just goes there. I love it. I absolutely love it. And so I have all these heroes and they're all improvisers. And if you go down my heroes of lead trumpet players, I never really like dove head into that because it's not what I absolutely adore. There are mm -hmm. definitely trumpet players that I like. And there's definitely sounds that I'm like, man, I would love to know how to do that or be able to do that. But that's something that I've really had to train myself to, to work on because it's not something I inherently hear for one in my sound. But it's also that I'm not some, like if I if you're asking me what do you want to work on today, Zach? I want to work on improvising because I absolutely love it. Mm -hmm. It's it's something that I kind of have to force myself to do at times. But it's but it's a skill that's very useful, especially when I'm thinking about wedding bands. I mean, you're the only trumpet player, and so you mm -hmm. have to play, you have to play September, and you have to kill it, you know. <laughs> and so, um, you know, and so there's there's like all these different bands that I listed and 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 so on they require different challenges when you show up on the gig one may be playing high and loud and strong to lead the section another one might be playing a melody really beautifully and lush and and smoky or whatever people are looking for the hip-hop thing is a whole different thing I mean this hip-hop band where you're you're like a you're 
you're, it was me and a tenor player in the horn section. And, you know, we write a lot of the horn lines. And so obviously we write them to know that we can do them for one. But um, for two, it's a different sonic palette because it's a lot of backbeat stuff. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of running 16th note things. It's a lot of punchy things because it's not it's not a trumpet led band. We have a singer. And mm -hmm. so we can't get in the way of the singer. And so um, and then that's a whole nother thing, like playing with Michael. But also I play with a handful of other singers in town being a trumpet player but there's a lead vocal, there's a vocalist that's playing, like you can't get in that way. And that's a whole different mm -hmm. concept of improvising. Like that's not, that's not leading the band as an improviser. You're in a different, you're in a different role. And so through all, after all that rambling, really there's a role that you have to fit in each ensemble that you're, that you're being hired and you're being hired because they know that you can do that. And so um, the challenges are always different. The challenges are always exciting. And I really enjoy the challenges of those jobs, you know, mm -hmm. and, and mm -hmm. I, think I get hired because they know that I can, I can fit into the sonic template of what they're looking for, um, for their group. At least I hope that's why they're hiring me. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know? No, you, you yeah. speak, you speak the gospel, I think, uh, the gospel yeah. truth. And because, you know, uh, your opening statement, I play what pays. I mean, if you're going to be a professional, you right. have to be able to adapt to all kinds of gigs, whether it's a Latin gig, a polka gig, a jazz right. gig, a big band gig, playing behind right. a singer. All of those things are different skill sets. And, right. and, you know, it's one of the things when I was, a, I can remember when I was a TA at North Texas, when I was in grad oh. school and oh. I would have, I would have freshmen trumpet students come in because of course when you're ta that's mostly who you teach right unless there's sure. some kind of wunderkind and then you send them right up to the faculty and sure. i would have i would have these young kids uh you know that had come in from you name it and that all i want to do is learn how to play jazz and i'd say well that's fine but first of all let's work on you learning how to be a trumpet player you know, we've got to, you've got to develop a sound, you know, you've got to have something that then you can adjust and, and, you know, kind of add to. So uh, we're going to do arbens <laughs> and, and long tones and things like that, which of course was sort of a dismay because some of them say, well, what am I practicing arbens for? This was written, you know, hundred years plus ago. And I said, well, it's still good basic trumpet technique, and you have to develop that first before you can right. start thinking about styles. And right. uh, and you are so right about when you play behind a singer, you are really not a soloist. You right. are contrapuntal atmosphere. Right. Absolutely. To whatever the singer's doing. And, and you have to have a completely different mindset than right. when you are a featured soloist. So I think... Right. Uh, I'm glad to hear you say those things because uh, yeah. I've talked about those same things from for, for years and years and years. And that now it probably falls on deaf ears, but now it comes <laughs> from you and uh, yeah. and uh, and people go, yeah, right on. He's he's right. So, yeah, <laughs> those are those are cool. Those are cool. And those different kind of, uh, you know, groups, you know, it's like uh, I'm sure that you love the variety. I think if there's anything that would just kill me is if I had to do the same thing over and over and over and over and over and over again. Right. Yeah. yeah. You know, I've, Absolutely. I've interviewed, I've interviewed people uh, who uh, 
like make their living playing on Broadway. Mm -hmm. And, and they talk about, you know, uh, how that is for them the hardest kind of playing that they have to do because you have to be studio quality, right. i.e. perfect, and it's live and you have to be on every night. There is no, there is no fudge factor. Right. And, and I thought, oh man, I don't know if I could handle that stress, you know, and, and then doing the same show night after night after night and twice on Saturdays and Sundays, you know, kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Um, and the variety has been well, is there any one of the particular performing situations that you are in, of any of those that you've described, that is, say, more challenging than another? And if so, why? Um, you know, I, I like to, I would say physically, the most challenging for me right now is if, if, if I'm called to do a lead gig. And I think physically for any trumpet player, that's the case, whether you are a lead player or not, because there's just so much there's so much that goes into playing trumpet. And so when you say, when I think challenges as just a trumpet player, not a jazz trumpet player, just trumpet, we're just dealing with the trumpet. That's probably the most, that's probably the most challenging. Um, I would say that each, you know, each performing um, scenario that I get into has its challenges. And so, mm -hmm. yeah, um, some, you know, and so whether it may be in some people's eyes, a very easy gig or a very hard gig. It doesn't really matter. There's always challenges. You can't just show up without preparing. And so, um, and so with that said, I, I don't know, I don't really have like, there really has never been in my brain, like, oh, that was the hardest thing. Mm -hmm. I would say there are always things that I, I look forward to and there are obstacles and there's things that I really, and it's like every time I get, get a performance opportunity, I get to work on getting better at those challenges, yeah. you know, yeah. and, and just every time I just get a little better and it's, it's really great. And so I try to put myself in those situations as much as possible. Um, and Chicago is a great place to do it because there's jam sessions every night. There's gigs to go see every night. There's inspiration everywhere. You step out the front door. Um, yeah. And that's why I moved here. And so, and I also moved here not to be, I, I moved here because there's like hundreds of people that are better than me. And so yeah. I want to, I want to be around people that are better than me, you know, and I mm -hmm. want to be like that. And so I think this is such a great community to be in because the challenges are always and forever will be right in front of you. And then the inspiration is always in front of you as well. Yeah, no, I, yeah. I, I agree. I think when you go to the bigger pond, yeah. you find that you find that the case where there are a lot of other people who are better than you, Right. And uh, some people I noticed, I mean, I experienced this when I went to North Texas for some that was devastating. We of would course. have, we would have like an 85% turnover rate of freshmen oh, wow. in, the, in the music school, you know, right. you know right. because people would show up from all over the world to come, yeah. to come to become the latest, next greatest phenomenon in music. And right. they would, they would get their butt kicked because you know, out of 110 trumpet majors, mm -hmm. uh, there were at least a hundred who were better than they were, right. you know, and they would, they, I had that, I saw that happen a lot. Uh, yeah. Others thrive in that kind of challenge. They right. look at say, well, okay, so they're better than me. So now if they can do it, I can do it. Mm -hmm. There's nothing magical about them. They put their pants on one leg at a time, just like right. I do. I just need to buckle down and do the kind of things that they, that they do. And so right. throwing yourself in that kind of an environment is scary, but yes. in the long run, it's really, it's really, uh, 
uh, a way to build your, yourself up, I think. And that uh, sounds like you've made a good move. And plus, Chicago's a lot closer to home for you than, yes, New, York would, yes. than New York would be, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A lot of the New York guys I talk to, they say the exact same thing you just said. Because mm -hmm. it's just, there's all this stuff going on and it's a wonderful environment to be in. But uh, yeah. you know, Chicago is too. So that's that's really great. Um, as a trumpet player, who or what turned the light on for you? What turned ah. you on to music and playing the trumpet? Well, I would have to give that to my dad. Uh, my dad is a band director in the Wassa area. Oh, okay. He, um, yeah, and so my whole life, you know, I was, I just have always been in the band room. I'm a band kid, you know, and so, <laughs> okay. I, and so you know, when I was, I, I remember for as little, you know, in kindergarten, first grade, second grade, my dad was at the well, high school band director, and we'd take the bus to the high school, and my brother and I, and um, we'd take the bus to the high school together, and we'd just hang out in the band room until he was done, you know, mm -hmm. with work, mm -hmm. and then he'd take us home, and so it's like, we, we were always involved. And then um, I have a big family. I'm one of five. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so my dad went to the high school until I think it was around fourth grade or something like that in Manitowoc, Wisconsin. Oh. And then there were then okay. the five of us, you know, my littlest sister was born and my parents decided that that um, my dad was going to take like a, 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 a middle school job, which was lesser after school commitments, less pep mm -hmm. band, less, mm -hmm. less field shows, less marching band, mm -hmm. where he was able to be at home a little bit more. And so he ended up, we ended up moving from Manitowoc, Wisconsin to Weston, Wisconsin, which is just outside of Wausau, if anyone knows where that is. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so then he was at the middle school at DC Everest. And that's, I started in sixth grade on trumpet in my dad's band. Um, and he was my band director, sixth through ninth grade. And then I went to the high school um, at DC Everest in Wausau. And I've kind of, so he was the person that started it for me. And my brother was on percussion. All my sisters played music, my younger sisters. Um, and so it's always been a part of the family. And so he was the one that started me on the trumpet. And um, honestly, when I was in fifth grade and we did the, we uh, I think they call it like the, the musical zoo when all the kids get to try all the different instruments. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, I really wanted to play percussion in fifth grade and my dad's a percussionist drummer and my brother who was a year older than me already chose percussion. And so my dad's like, we're not having a third percussionist in the house. So he wouldn't let me pick per percussion, <laughs> which I'm glad in hindsight that he didn't allow me to, because now I have a life in music playing trumpet. So sure. uh, it was a good move at the time. At the time, I wasn't very happy about it. But uh, that's the first time that that's what started me on trumpet. And he he was the foundation of my musical journey. And then he introduced me into a lot of people in the Wisconsin community, band directors and different musicians around the community in Appleton and Stevens mm -hmm, Point, mm -hmm. even in Madison, because we'd always come to the state convention. I was sure. like, I went like nine years in a row, I think. And so there's yeah. just a lot, like a large community in Wisconsin that I really owe a lot of my growth to at the beginning, simply just by, by getting to know people and just being involved in different musical communities throughout that time. And so I, I hold that really near and dear to my heart because it's a lot of those people are a huge part in the small town Wisconsin, a huge part of my musical growth. And that's mm -hmm. now some of the biggest stages in the world, but it all goes back to these tiny towns in Wisconsin. Well, you know, it's it's like what you're saying is music to my ears because I've been a music educator in Wisconsin since 1993, and uh, and prior to that, I was a music educator in Texas, and uh, and uh, so when you talk about Weston, 
I, I don't know specifically where it is, but I do know where Wausau is because uh, for 13 years, I was the chair of the music department for the University of Wisconsin Colleges. And we wow. had a camp, we had a campus in Wausau. Of course, of course, yeah. UW Marathon County campus. And we also had one in Manitowoc. Right. And I was, of course, very good friends with uh, my colleagues on those campuses who directed uh, like Manitowoc, uh, the director of the Lakeshore uh, Wind Ensemble, right. was a yeah. very dear friend of mine and who he's passed away now. It's been about four or five years ago. Um, but, uh, and talking about, you know, music taking you all around the world. I went on a tour of Japan with the Lakeshore Wind Ensemble wow. because, so cool. uh, yeah. because he wanted, uh, he wanted to have, a uh, do the Vivaldi concerto for two trumpets. And, uh, I guess one of the other trumpets in the band couldn't go or something. And he asked me if I could go on the tour because he, he knew he knew I could play and I so I I went and that was just absolutely fantastic and then uh and then of course I'm in Waukesha and mm -hmm. oh my gosh the band kids in Waukesha talk about DC Everest and because <laughs> DC Everest there would always be a, I think DC Everest would host a pretty big marching show in the fall they do. Yeah, they do. And, and the kids in yeah. Waukesha, because I live, I, I don't live very far at all from Waukesha North High School. Very strong marching mm -hmm. program for many, many years. Well, strong band program. And Waukesha West right. also. Actually, all three of the Waukesha high schools have, have had really fine band programs. And I can yeah. remember, you know, and I'd, I'd, I'd run into kids in the neighborhood that I knew were in the band. I said, well, how's how's competition season going well we're going up to dc everest this weekend you know or, or private students that i had there were high school students you know right so yeah, yeah. yeah. so uh you well i mean they they really saw that as a big deal and that D, that everest was you know some of their bi biggest competition everest right. and oak creek and right uh, columbus and yeah, yeah. yeah for all the you know for marching bands so Right. And uh, and for a lot of years, you know, Waukesha was a marching band crazy uh, town. Yeah. And I would when I would. <laughs> I would have kids come to because I was on the faculty at UW Waukesha and I, I, students would say, well, do you guys have a marching band? And I said, no, we, we don't because we don't have a football team. We're, we're a two year campus. You know, I said. But if during band rehearsal you want to get up and mark time, you can feel free to do so. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I used to, I mean, you know, well, the one thing about band, and you you, you could attest to this because your dad was what, was a band director, but all, all of us band directors, there's a little bit of Harold Hill in all of us. <laughs> there really yeah. is. I mean, I mean, yeah. and, and because we know the value, the power, the love that goes with with being in in band and right. a lot of times we'll do anything we can to convince a kid to get in band you know yeah because we yeah. know it's in their best interest and and it's kind of <laughs> right. cool but it sounds to me like becoming a musician was an was an unavoidable experience for you with a dad who was a band director and and siblings who all played and everything man what a right. great musical family that's awesome oh yeah, oh, yeah. well how about specifically uh, jazz? What seemed to, to to catch your eye, your ear, and get you turned on to playing jazz? Yeah, um, specifically, 
I can remember this this um this happening, I guess, in my life. I was in I was in my last year of high school, I was in 12th grade. I was a senior. I was um in the I forget if I was, I think I was in my car. I was. I was in my car and I just bought a CD by Sean Jones named Roots. Mm-hmm. And it released in 2007. And I was a big Sean Jones fan um already. But I just kind of like I just kind of learned about him at that time in my life, and um, you know I was doing I was looking him up I was like looking at YouTube videos checking out but then I I bought this CD and I put it in my car and I remember listening to it from top to bottom I was just going home it was like a five minute drive home and I remember just staying in my car just sitting there for an hour at mm-hmm, least I believe mm-hmm, mm-hmm. however long the album took however long the album is i listened to that thing straight through and i i couldn't believe what i was hearing and it just inst i was like this is this is it this is what i want to do i couldn't i couldn't believe it and um i've i after that i remember i mean i could even right now probably sing you down every melody of that album mm-hmm, i mm-hmm. listened to it hundreds hundreds maybe that maybe over a thousand times and since that time in high school Mm-hmm. Um, it was so special to me and it still is that music is very special to me i love it and i think i mean um sean's music is very gospel oriented and i love gospel music and i grew up mm-hmm. in the church mm-hmm. and the finnegan family band like we were just talking about we would always play at church my dad was also like the worship leader for many years at the church that we went to in Wausau, and so um I was always like that music is really like my first love music is that's my whole childhood is based in contemporary Christian music or gospel music. Mm-hmm. And then I on who took his gospel roots and put it and joined this these jazz roots and it just it blew my mind and Sean is Sean is I mean one of if not one of the most maybe the best like the most incredible trumpet player I've ever heard like he can mm-hmm. do so many things on the instrument. Um, and so anyway, that's that's the first. And so after that, it was just like, this is what I want to do. How can I do it? And mm-hmm. if I can be half as good as Sean someday, I'll know I'm, I'm doing a really, really well. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. that man mm-hmm. has really inspired me. And actually, a really interesting story about that is I've also now taken, you know, I have all of Sean's CDs. I go see him anytime he's in the Midwest, really. I'll travel anywhere to go see him. He, um, I remember listening to a podcast that he did not too long ago, asking about like some of his... Um, some of his like musical experiences and what really got him interested in jazz. And he has a similar story where he was driving down the road, listening to my favorite things. Um, <laughs> and he did it. He pulled off and he lists, he's like, Oh my gosh, I'm like, he had clarity in what he wanted. And I, I mean, he probably had more clarity than I did when I was in, when I was like 17 years old and listening to his album, I just knew at that point that that's what I wanted to do. You know, it was really special yeah. to me. So yeah. that was the first thing. And then, and then, from him, it just branched off into a lot of different um, people that inspire me that I listen to now all the time. And um, but he was the start for sure. Well, that's that's great, you know, it, it, to have that uh, that flicker of uh, uh, something that lights the fuse. Right. I, yeah. I I I uh, I think we we have all similar thing. Mine was uh, Miles Davis's Live at the Blackhawk, mm. but I could never get past Walking which was the oh, opening yeah. track on side one. And yeah. there was something about that tune. And I, of course, <laughs> when I was uh, younger, it was an LP. So I had to keep lifting the needle and resetting it, listening to it over and sure, over. Yeah, sure. but, the, but 
I when I'd listen to my when I'd listen to that track and not just Miles but all the other musicians, I God, this is so cool. Yeah, this is yeah. just so cool. But and, the other thing, the other thing I, I I will confess to you is that I was always a lover of anything that was louder, higher, faster, screaming. I mean, that's why I loved <laughs> I loved marching band. I did drum sure. band for for yeah, a couple of, of years. I loved uh, you know, the Stan Kenton Orchestra. That was really my first initiation. Of course, yeah. Maynard Ferguson band and so forth. Yeah. And uh and it's just it's wonderful how we can find all those things. Yeah. And uh and gospel music too is a is 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 a genre that I I really I, I really love. I I especially like uh the old old gospel tunes, you know, those like uh and in one of the bands that I have, and I have six different groups that I front because I have wow. that those I have different tastes in jazz, right? Yeah, awesome. And cool. so one one of them we branch out and uh it's a trio. It's just my I you know, trumpet and vocals, and then I have a tuba player and a guitar player. Nice. And cool. and it's yeah, it's very bare bones, very cut down, but we love it. And uh the people that listen to us seem to like it too because it's very simple and mm -hmm. but uh i always love to throw in uh some old you know gospel tunes like you know have a little talk with jesus and yeah that's the so cool. uh, old rugged cross and things like that yeah. because hymns old hymns were stock and trade of early jazz musicians mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that's and that's one of the things i always yank the chain of my audience and i said well thank you very much ladies and gentlemen for coming here tonight we're going to play a whole lot of music that you've never heard of by people you've <laughs> never heard of so it's uh should be a whole new introduction to you and then we play yeah, everything right. like pre-1920 so yeah yeah which kind of leads me to my next question and, and uh, that i want this is kind of maybe kind of a philosophical question uh, uh of sorts but i i want to i want your perspective and so it doesn't sure. have to be a right answer wrong answer i want it to be the zachary finnegan answer this yeah it's this jazz comes in a lot of different flavors. I mean, we've got historical styles, contemporary styles. We've got mixture. We have reconfiguration of of standards. We have uh, jazz that's inf influenced by R and B and hip hop. We have jazz that's inspired by uh, you know uh, avant garde music. We have straight ahead jazz. We have bebop, hard bop. We have West Coast. We have traditional so we, all those things we have a lot of different flavors when i used to teach right. jazz history and appreciation i would tell my students look my goal here as your teacher is to introduce you to the fact that music is like going to the ice cream store and there's a lot of different flavors and you don't want right. to just you know you don't want to just uh have vanilla every time you go to the music store which is what a lot of you are doing and vanilla is not a bad flavor. It's a familiar flavor. It tastes good. It's not, you know, all that sort of thing. But I, I'm here to introduce you to some other flavors of music. All right. Well, so jazz itself comes in a lot of different flavors. And so I want to ask you, what is really the essence of jazz across all of its various flavors? And how is jazz different or how does it vary from other styles of music yeah um i think you hit the nail on the head and say like with all of the what I, jazz is such an umbrella term and there's so 
many genres and subgenres within this umbrella turn of jazz, which really was was given to the music after the mu- way after the music has already been developed and changing and moving. And, you know, it's it, it took before the term jazz came, there was just like there's so much jazz music already happening. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just a way to call something that, you know, it was just this this thing that people wanted to call it. So with that said, it's, it's a really it's, it's a difficult question. And honestly, you sent me a couple of these questions before, and this is the one I've been just like racking my brain over. Okay. Um, over the last couple of days thinking about it because um, it's, a t- it's a very tough question. You know, it's mm-hmm. a question that, that um, jazz is the thing, the thing with, with jazz, the term jazz and, and what we do within the genre of jazz, which is so broad and massive and, and um, hard to encapsulate into one thing. But the thing that I think is consistent about any kind of music that falls under the umbrella of jazz music is that, it's it's always evolving. It's always changing. Mm-hmm. That's just that's the basis. It's it's just like human nature. It's just mm-hmm. like life. It's literally the only consistent, the only constant is change. Mm-hmm. And so if you look over the last hundred years, the last hundred and twenty years of like when recorded jazz music has been, or when jazz music has been recorded, the only thing that you can say definitively is that it changes. You know, mm-hmm. and so. When I think about it, and then I, and then I think about okay, what is jazz to me? And when I'm playing when I'm playing my music, and when I write my music, and I'm performing it, like what what who is that? What what is the genre? What is it? Where does it fall under this umbrella? And there are definitely critics, and there are definitely people who say Zach's music is this, and Zach's music is this, and um, that's totally fine. People are always going to put it where they want to. And that's, that's their, that's what music is. It's all, people can judge it. People can like it. People cannot like it. You can have, you, you have to be okay with that as an artist. Right. Um, but when I think about my heroes and my inspirations and the reason I play the music, um, I don't think you could definitely categorize Miles Davis in a certain way. Like we, and you could definitely categorize Winton in a certain way or Lee Morgan or, or Kenny Dorham or Blue Mitchell, all these people that I love. But when I think, okay, I want to, I want to take, I want to take what they have and I want to make it a part of myself. I just think I'm playing Blue Mitchell's music. I'm not playing bebop, hard bop. Okay. 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 I'm I'm not, that's not how I think about it. I think about it as I, I am, I'm taking this, I'm, I'm trying to learn from this experience that this human being had Mm -hmm, and they're mm -hmm. putting it in their music and I want to learn from their experience. So I want to play like Winton, I want to play Winton Marsalis's music. I want to learn from Wynton Marsalis's music. I want to learn from Kenny Durham. I want to learn from Lou Mitchell. And I want to take things that are that are important to me and what I hear in their sound. Um, and I don't necessarily want to categorize it because I think that goes down a rabbit hole that honestly mm-hmm. doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter to mm-hmm. me. What matters to me is that I love this music and I love what they did. And jazz music, and, and if I look at jazz music over the history of time, what is it really, what is it really encapsulating as encapsulating human experience? And it's encap- mm-hmm. encapsulating mm-hmm. Uh, a personal experience into what's happening in culture, in life, and around them. It's so much bigger than the notes or the chords or the changes. Um, I, I find so much. The reason I want to sound like Winton is the nuance in, in, in his sound and the rhythms he plays with and, mm-hmm. and, and the little scoops and the little growls and all that stuff. The notes are awesome, but the notes are never going to change. What changes is that personal touch. And so um, those nuances that 
Miles Davis plays with. Like, you know it's Miles, two notes mm-hmm, in, mm-hmm, one note in. Mm-hmm. You know. It's not because he played a B natural. No. Right. It's, right, it's not. Right. And so that I think it's I think it's so important to me that I don't put it into a box that I say I'm learning from this person because I enjoy their experience. You know, I'm learning from Louis. I mean, I can't imagine what Louis Armstrong went through. Like, think about his life and like yeah. the oh, yeah. and the civil rights and the 20s and 30s when he's in ballrooms where he's the only person of color. Like I can hear it in his sound. Mm-hmm. It's not because he's playing traditional jazz. No, mm-hmm. no. It's mm-hmm. because he Louis and he sounds like Louis because of his experience in life. And so when, when I think jazz and the umbrella of jazz and the experience of jazz is just, it's so much deeper than just what I'm hearing. There's so much history. There's so much knowledge. There's so much ex- like personal grief and experience that goes into what these each artist's that I'm that I'm talking about. And I also think it's very important to point out that every artist that I've listed over the last five minute rant is a person of color. I think that's mm-hmm. very important. And I think that's very important to never overlook because the, mm-hmm. the, the, like I am, a, I am, um, I feel like I'm a, I'm a guest in this music. Mm-hmm. I don't own mm-hmm. it's not mm-hmm. a part of mm-hmm. not a part of my history. Um, and honestly, like these people experience these things because of people that looked like me and so i'm i i'm trying to learn from these people and i'm and i and i want to make sure that i'm not like those people that that oppressed them way back then you know but it's it's a bigger it's a bigger conversation than just um genre subgenre umbrella of jazz i find it to be such a human experience um that that it's that i'm just learning and i'm just taking things from these people's experiences in their lives you know no, I, I I love what you're saying. I love what you're saying. There's two things that I that have came to my mind while you were talking that that I think uh, offer some interesting insight. Uh, are you familiar with the the movie about Beethoven that Gary Oldman made, where he played Beethoven? Actually, I haven't. No. I oh yeah, that. yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, you need yeah. to check this out. Yeah, yeah, Gary Gary Oldman plays Beethoven. And, okay. Uh, it's uh, the movie's entitled The Immortal Beloved. Okay, I'm gonna okay. write that down. Yeah, and go ahead. That's fine. The Immortal Beloved is probably a 20 year old film by now. Okay. But Gary Oldman just blows me away. I mean, my gosh, he's played Winston Churchill and Beethoven and mm. and uh, Sirius Black and all this kind of stuff. You know what oh, I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, but anyway, but you should check out this movie now. I'm gonna tell you about a se- a segment from the movie that that was so. Uh, impactful to me i used to share it when i taught uh my music students my music priest students and it's a scene Mm -hmm. where where uh beethoven is with his agent slash attorney man by the name of schindler and uh schindler's talking you know about what beethoven should play or conduct on his next concert you know and he's he's more interested in making money and drawing an audience and blah 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 and Beethoven mm-hmm. finally says, Schindler, what is the purpose of music? And, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, you know, Schindler's kind of flummoxed by this whole question. And, uh, uh, you know, and he says, well, music, the purpose of music is to elevate mankind. Mm-hmm. And Beethoven says, Schindler, you're a fool. When you hear a march, you're not elevated you get in line and you march 
when you hear a waltz, you're not elevated. You get on on the dance floor and dance. Oh, yeah. And Beethoven in the film, whether he actually ever said this or not, I have sure. no idea. But it's a, a very impactful statement. The purpose of music, this is what he says, Schindler, the purpose of music is to put the listener into the mind of the composer at mm. the time that they are creating the music. So when mm. you said, I'm playing Blue Mitchell's music, I thought, man, that is right, right in that wheelhouse. Because what you're, what we effectively do, when we study solo transcriptions, we listen to recordings and we try to imitate, what we're trying to do is something that maybe we really can't do, but we try anyway, because it's the best we can do, is to right. put our minds, put our uh, minds and ears and wrap that around. Where was Blue Mitchell's head when he right. when he played that solo? Mm -hmm. You know, where, and you brought up a beautiful example with Louis Armstrong. Where was mm -hmm. Louis Armstrong's head right. when he played? And And you have to, you know, and I think that, he was a man who was 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 oppressed and had all right. kinds of you know yet on stage he was a bullion he was full right. of life he was full of positive and 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 happiness you exactly, know right. now yeah. he had a lot of satire because mm -hmm. when he would sing why am i so black and blue he right. was sticking it to the the racists in the audience Absolutely. but but uh you know I think in the Ken Burns uh, documentary on jazz, the, they talk about, uh, you know, there's two types of revolutionaries. There's the one that throws the Molotov cocktail through your, your living room window. And then there's the other that puts the rat poison in your coffee while he's shaking mm -hmm. your hand and smiling at you. <laughs> and he said that that's the kind of revolutionary that Louis Armstrong was. Right. And so I, your insights are hugely valuable. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. Labels really are kind of, worthless but people ask us we have to tell them something of course of course right you know i mean we can't we can't do what miles davis used to do in his you know in the 70s when when he would put on his albums new directions in music because he didn't like the term jazz anymore he said that taught, that was music i played in the 40s and 50s right. we can't tell we can't tell the general right. uh public when they say what kind of music do you play well i play new directions in music well right. they're gonna go what does that mean you know right. yeah so totally. <laughs> totally totally yeah so you know we have to start somewhere and then branch out from that but i also could not agree more that jazz is a, a music that is constantly evolving it's it's a music that soaks up everything around it like a giant sponge. And then when you squeeze it, something new and wonderful comes out. Right. Absolutely. And I think that's that's the beauty of the of the art form. And that's why I love it. OK. Excuse me. I got a little coughing jag here. Where is mm. Put that fire out with some water. Well, you mentioned about writing. And I want to jump to that. Can, can you tell us a little bit about your creative process? What inspires you when you write? You know, like I had mentioned a little bit earlier, inspiration is all around us. So it could be, it could be um, so many things have inspired me. Most of the time it's people, relationships, um, 
and and the people I'm surrounded with, my community in Chicago would be a great example. I've written a few tunes about my community here. So my, my inspiration really comes from comes from my surroundings and my personal experience. And so um, I have I, I continue to write. I think it's a great, great way to learn more, learn more about music, but also learn more about yourself, learn more about what you like to hear. You know, transcribing things also helps that too, because then you understand the harmonic concept that you enjoy and that you like to play. Um, but yeah, my inspiration, a lot of times it'll come from the people that I'm around, but also it'll, I, I've written a few tunes. I get super, if I get super inspired after going to someone's show, to a concert and be like, wow, that was so incredible. I'm so inspired. I want to write something like that or, you know, mm -hmm. um, so I think that's where, that's where mo most of my inspiration lies. Um, a lot of my inspiration has, has also come from like moving. You know, I moved from Wisconsin to Indiana and like I have a few tunes written about that experience because it was my first time leaving home. Um, that was a very that was a very transitional experience in my life. And so mm -hmm. I, I want to document that. And then same goes for Indiana to Chicago and the massive difference um, of how my life changed from from there to there. The, the COVID experience, I've written things about that. I've written things about, you know, um, things that happen in our country, you know, um, I think like we had just talked about earlier, uh, I think it's our, our, our service as an artist is to is to share our experience. And that's what we were talking about with Winton and Louie and, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. all those people go down the list. All the artists that that I love, they're just sharing their experience um, through their compositions and they're playing with us. And so I find that I'm trying to do the same. Um, so, they, yeah, I would say that that's where my you know okay. life experiences and relationships, that's where it comes from. Sure, sure. I, 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 you know, you you mentioned something that's 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 very important to me as well, and that is about about uh, music as an art form, and and how you know it is more than just uh, the mechanics of the art. Uh, it's also way more than just you know, uh, gee, I wonder how much money I'll make from this. Right. You yeah. know what I mean? I mean, right. totally. yeah, we got to make a living. That's, 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 that's right. for sure. I guess I have a, I, it's easy for me to say this because yeah, I'm retired. And so I'm, I'm on a, I have my state pension. I have social security, right? So I don't have to rely on music to make a living. Right. Um, and uh, in fact, I'm probably going in the red more than I am the black with be in music but i don't mind because it's my love it's my hobby and and i tell you know and so that's why i think i can go out and and uh and experience and provide music but there's something that you hit on too that i i feel very strongly about and i often share this with kids when i go out and uh like clinic a band or something and and i tell them i said you know god has granted us gifts and uh and you know, all of us have been granted gifts by God. And, uh, but some of us don't, uh, open the package. Mm. You have opened the package because yeah. you're doing music and not right. everybody does music. Right. And so you have this, this beautiful package that you've opened and you have this gift that you've been given, but mm -hmm. with that comes the responsibility to help make the lives of other people better and the world a better place through our gifts. And, uh, and I, I feel very strongly about that. I, uh, you know, um, and I, I, cause I think that, you know, uh, music is a, is a wonderful, uh, divine gift that's been given to mankind. And I think that, that we should, you know, share it, 
uh, with others. And, uh, and even if they don't like it, and I've yeah. often said this too, I said, even if you didn't like that last piece made you think, right. <laughs> right. right. Absolutely. Yeah. There's that emotional. I, I absolutely love that. A mentor of mine told me that story, told me a story similar. Um, music is like the closest thing to your heart emotionally you know you can, it gets what do we do at church we spend the first half singing songs you know it's right. music it brings us right. together community it's like like if if that's i mean there's nothing really that's closer to your heart but there was a there's a funny story um one of my one of my mentors that i met many years ago his name is matt wilson he's a drummer in in new york a really wonderful drummer and um matt was playing a trio gig and I think he was at he was at one of the clubs in New York and this woman came up to him after the show and she goes, I hated that. I hated <laughs> all of it. And he starts cheering. He's cheering. He's like, yes. Yeah. You know, he was so happy that she had an emotional response, you know, because it, I don't know. He's such a quirky guy. It's hilarious. Sure, I, sure. There's more to the story. But anyway, he was so excited that there was there was an emotional response that someone wasn't just sitting there indifferent you know you either you could love it you can hate it but you know and you have an emotional response and there's something happening within you and that's what music is supposed to do it's supposed exactly to you. you think about you think about movie music and those 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 horror scenes what's happening in those horror scenes the music is intense you take that music away you're not going to feel those emotions that you see on screen <laughs> you know? It is so real. And so Matt Wilson, I think he, he was playing a set that was like very, very, um, there was just a lot of tension, you know, in the music. And so people were probably supposed to feel like a, an uneasy kind of way. And so he was, he was happy that she had an emotional response, you know, it's, that's what's yeah. important. Yeah. Yeah. I I'm laughing only because when you talk about movie music, you know, there's a, there's a running joke out there that's, uh, that says, Oh, if you're in a movie and you hear a solo cello, someone's going to die. <laughs> yeah that's right yeah, they kind of do that sort of thing but i you know i i you know as an educator uh you know and and at the you know i've I've taught everything from sixth grade through university mm -hmm. but when i taught at the university i i remember having a confrontation with one of my students one time and and i remember telling her i said look my number one task as a as your professor is to get you to think even if i have to make you angry to do it yeah. because at least you're thinking about something uh and 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 i have a reason to be thinking about it rather than just passively you know and i i believe too this hits on so many vibes that are just firing off you know one yeah. of the differences between art and entertainment is art gives us pause Mm -hmm. We may not necessarily like it, but we have to appreciate for the fact that it stops us in our tracks and makes us take a moment to contemplate what the heck is that all about? Right. And then the more we think about it, we begin to have insights and then we have, you know, satisfying kind of ideas and so on. Well, right. um, you know, this is, this is really some great, I, I know we sound like a mutual admiration society. I'm glad yeah. to hear that we're on, <laughs> on a very similar wavelength. That's right. Uh, so anyway, um, when you when you do have inspiration, because mm -hmm. now I'm I want to drill down a little bit more to your music musical cognition. Uh, okay, it's the music educator in me. Okay, yeah. Of course. When, when you are inspired, 
your musical thinking, what what typically pops up first? A melodic idea, a rhythmic idea, a particular set of chord changes, or do you have a particular mood or set of lyrics that, that you maybe you just make up to go with a piece of music? What what typically hits first, Zachary? Well, I would say melody is king. That's what I tell all my students okay. to. Melody is king. And so most of the, I would say 90% of my tunes have always started with a strong melody because if without a strong melody, what are we doing? You know, right. it's like you need, and I would say most of, I would say, I mean, honestly, I'm thinking about the tunes um, that I write. I could, they're very singable. They're very singable. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm not, I'm not like the tunes that I write are not very like bebop oriented where you can sing bebop. Don't get me wrong. You can absolutely sing bebop, but, uh, <laughs> But uh, sure, just ask Bobby McFerrin, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, and I would say that the uh, well, this would be a podcast. I'm holding on my phone right now. Um, I my voice memos are full, and I'll just be walking through the city. I'll be uh, I'll be at the grocery store. I'll be at the gym, and something will pop to my mind, and I'll just sing it into my phone. Right. And later, I'll go back and I'll transcribe it. I'll write it down and see if it's worth anything. You know. Mm -hmm. Um, however, there are there are a few other ways that I've gone about writing, and there's a few tunes that I have that uh, um, I didn't start with melody, but for the most part, I would always say, especially for especially a, a budding composers, like I always start melody is king. Strong melody will supersede anything else um, in my compositions, at least. Okay. But there's a there's a few things that I, I I try to put myself in boxes, in tiny little boxes and compose my way out of it and see how creative I can be within a tiny little, a tiny little um, box, compositional box. And what I mean by that is I'll, um, if I'm not, if I'm not, if I'm not singing the melody, let's say I want to write a tune and I'm going to just, it's kind of an exercise based thing where I will say I get two intervals and I have to write a whole melody with two intervals mm -hmm. and I have to make it compelling. And it can go, it can be a major second and a, and a, and a tritone or something. And I only can use those. It can go up or down, whatever. And mm -hmm. it can be a major second continuous, you know, um, but those are all, and I, I have a couple of tunes like that and they turn out really exciting because I have to, I have to be creative. There's nothing you, you have to be another thing. Another one that um, a teacher of mine once made me do, and I've now done a couple of times as I'll take the melody of a standard. Mm -hmm. any standard i'll pick a standard i'll take the melody and i'll use the melody notes as my bass note and so I, and then okay. i'll change those, i can change the rhythm you can change the rhythm it's just that those the notes have to stay in succession as the as what that melody was and then that that inherently gives you you know a set of pitches that then can can you can you can make harmony off of you know mm -hmm. um, and so anyway, and then I'll do that and then I'll play it for my, some of my friends, you know, some jazz friends or whatever, and I'll play and I'll be like, do you know what tune I used? And more often than not, they have, I would say 98% of the time, they mm -hmm. never know what tune. It's a completely different tune, obviously. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'll just compose or I'll, I'll make myself um, only use a minor scale uh, to make the melody. I okay. only can use a D minor scale and those mm -hmm. pitches you can change the harmony but but you only can use those pitches things like that i'm putting myself in tiny tiny boxes and i'm trying to make something out of out of this little thing and um i think that's the best i th i think for me my brain works really well that way because then because then it, it narrows down it narrows down all those options you know there's so many options mm -hmm. yes oh I, I have this tiny little thing and i need to compose my way out of it and make it make it interesting and intriguing so those are a few things i don't know 
Yeah. No, I think I think that's brilliant because I think that is one of the biggest stumbling blocks to me personally hmm. uh, in writing music is there are infinitesimal uh, options. Right. I mean, yeah. and so by creating barriers or saying I'm only going to work in this context. Right. And uh, but I think that's really cool that you take an exist an existing standard, kind of use that as your cantus firmus. Mm-hmm. And then uh, and write new yeah. stuff, new counterpoint above it. You're just doing good right. counterpoint exercises. See, exactly. That's exactly. what my my wife my wife was a is a PhD music theorist, so that's what she would probably yeah. say. Yeah, I, <laughs> part writing, voice leading is all got to be good, you know, or else it's not going right. to sound so great. Right. Well, that's right. that's just awesome. That's awesome. Well, yeah. let's kind of wind. Uh, kind of, we're kind of winding things down, and I uh, we've sure. talked about past and present and. Let's talk about future. Do you have any uh, new recording projects or other new projects in the in the works or planned for for the near future? Well, I'm glad you asked. Um, something I something I didn't mention earlier that is probably one of the most biggest things that I do in the city is I book my own band all the time, and I think um, being a band leader is so valuable. Um, for so many different reasons, and I don't have to. I'm preaching to the choir because you have six of them. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, there's a there's a there's there's a skill set of being a sideman, which is, in my opinion, much much easier in the sense of the work, the administrational administrative. Mm-hmm. Work. Whereas the band, I I thrive. I love being a band leader. It's so much more work, but I find it so much more rewarding. Also, I get to play my music, and I get to make people play my music, so that's cool too. Uh, but um, with that said, I've been booking my band like crazy in Chicago, playing at a bunch of venues around town. And um, I locked down, well, I'm very grateful the city of Chicago has a large grant base. And so I got a grant from the city and, um, oh, did I freeze on you? I might have frozen. No, I'm with you. No, you're okay, cool. Good. You're cool. Um, there's this grant date. I'm good. Okay. Uh, and so I received a grant from the city, which I'm very excited about for my debut album. And so I've, I'm going to be recording in December um, with a jazz sextet. Um, and and a string section which i'm really excited about about half oh. the tunes are going to have strings on them um and that the working title right now is going to be sonic cinema um like i said earlier my upbringing is in gospel and contemporary christian music and so when i hear when i when i write and i hear things i hear a lot of cinematic music because it's kind of like that inner between jazz and contemporary christian music is like kind of like this cinematic scape mm-hmm, this mm-hmm, zone mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, I, and i love movie music too i absolutely love movie music it's so emotional obviously and i love the emotion that goes into it and so um I have about, I think there's going to be uh, right now, it's about 10 tunes on that that I've written over the last eight years that I am, have always been going back and just checking out and making sure they're perfect. Um, and so we'll be recording in December, two days in December um, in Chicago with some of the best best musicians in Chicago. I'm so excited um, to play with this band that I put together. And we'll be releasing the record sometime, hopefully next summer, and doing some release dates and doing some festivals and stuff like that. Oh, it's awesome. So I'm really, really excited for the debut album. I feel like it's about time. I just got off the road. It's like I need to, I need to do this for myself, but also sure. I'm really excited for people to hear this music. So, wow, that's that's exciting. Yeah. So, how how big of a string section do you think you'll be using? You know, it's either 
I, it depends. It dep- either I'm going to use like an eight piece string section, okay. or I might do a four piece and record it multiple times so it okay. feels bigger. Yeah, yeah. Well, I hear you. <laughs> but uh, that's more cost. I, I wanted to have. Yeah. yeah. Right. I, I I wanted to have a full like a full orchestral string section. It's a very sweeping, beautiful, lush chords that I've written for. So um, uh-huh. recorded my own music before. I haven't recorded strings before, and so I'm really excited to work and meet new people in the scene, and um, yeah. and just bring this project to life. It's going to be really beautiful. Well, you know, your project uh, brought to mind a good friend of mine by the name of Ben Kono. Now, Ben is a multi okay. player in New York. We were at North Texas at the same time, although we never really knew each other. Mm-hmm. We, we travel in different circles. But he is doing uh, a good deal of work with uh, strings in a in a kind of a jazz context. You might want to check out some of his music and and yeah. see see what you think. But uh, this sounds really uh, exciting, and uh, you're going to go in and record in December. So you probably what next summer for release? You think? Oh, looks like we have froze up. But anyway, uh, there we go. You thought out. You froze up, but you thought out. So I was just asking if, if uh, yeah, that's okay. It happens. It's it's technology. Yeah, yeah. It's the internet, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, technology's great until it isn't. Um, right. No, I was just asking if you record the album in December. What do you think about six months down the line from there will be your release release date? So that's something yeah, to yeah. look for. Yes, definitely be looking for it next summer debut album. Awesome. Um, just awesome. June, July. Yeah, I'm really excited about it. It'll be okay. Exciting. Yeah. Well, it's it sounds like it sounds like you got a lot of really great stuff in front of you and ahead of you, and uh, just kind of to finish up because I I like uh, to be uh, thorough, and I think I've asked you a lot of good questions. But is there anything else you would like to add or tell my audience that I haven't asked you about? Um, well, I, we had talked about this a little bit, and I just wanted to emphasize this point. There, um, the, the, I, I noticed in, in one, one of the questions, it was like, what, what would you recommend for young budding students? Oh, sure, sure. Do this for, for a living. And, and what I've learned in my, you know, my short, you know, eight-year professional career so far is that I would not be here, and I would not be making music at the level I'm doing and playing at the level I am without investing in my community and the people around me. Mm-hmm. And so I, I cannot stress that enough as a young student um, to go to the jazz camps, to invest in your band program, to get out in your community. Don't just play in tiny town, Wisconsin or tiny town here, or, or even if you're in Chicago, go to New York and feel what it feels or go to New Orleans or go to LA and you just, I mean, people call it networking. I call it friendships. Make mm-hmm. friends. You be around people and be genuine and just invest and be interested in, in other people's projects because that's going to, regardless of if you play with them or not, you're going to make an impact for one. And for two, you never know what's going to happen down the road because of that relationship you made when you were 18, when you were 15. Um, sure. A lot of the people I work with nowadays are from that that era of my life when I was mm-hmm. in my early 20s and they just kind of kept checking in on me and they like making sure I was doing things they're looking at things that I was doing and and seeing that I was like 
seeing that I was very motivated or seeing that I was practicing or whatever it may be. Um, but people from that time in my life that I never thought I would be, I would be involved with professionally. And I'm now sitting next to them in bands all over Chicago, all over the world and just investing in your community without expecting anything in in return will undoubtedly give you things in return. (laughs) So that's, that's excellent advice. Yeah. One does not, uh, make it in the music business by sitting in the practice room, getting better, waiting for someone to discover you. Exactly. You know? exactly. My, my, my trumpet teacher, one of my trumpet teachers at North Texas said it another way. You, you, you t- brought it up beautifully when he told, he once said, he said, you know, they, in the, they often say in the music business, it's, it's not how you blow, it's who, you know, mm-hmm. and he said, but what's really the truth is it's not just how you blow. It's who knows you right not who you know but who knows you and i i can attest to everything you're talking about uh, Mm -hmm. because the friends that you make when you're young are the people that you're going to be working with later and uh so i think that's excellent excellent advice zachary thank you so much well i i see nothing but uh but a lot of great success on the horizon uh, for you zachary and i want to thank you for taking time to talk with me today and uh want to wish you all the best uh with what i'm sure will be a continued successful musical future man thank you i'm excited about it yeah all right. And thanks for having me, Craig. Thanks for having me. This was amazing, amazing hour and a half. I appreciate it. I oh. look forward to checking out the, the episodes and the other episodes that you have. It's it's pretty amazing what you're doing. Yeah, I, I'm amazed we talked for an hour and a half, but then, you know, you get two trumpet players together, we can yank <laughs> forever. We, you know. <laughs> exactly, exactly. All right, you have a great rest of the day. Thank you, yeah. You too, Craig. Thank you soon. Bye. My discovery composer of the week is Ernest Ryer born in 1823 in Marseille. He died in 1909. Ryer, whose real name was Ray, was a French composer and critic. Having attended a music school in Marseille, from the age of six, he was sent in 1839 to Algiers to work with an uncle in a government department. There he composed, without the benefit of tuition, a number of minor works, including a mass for the visit of the Duke of Amale in 1847. In 1848, he defied his parents' and uncles' objections to a musical career and went to Paris, where his kinship with Aristide and Louis Ferrand was an invaluable introduction to a wide musical circle. Equally important was his early association with a number of literary figures, especially Gaucher, Marie, and de Cormenim, whose tastes were similar to his own. Ryer had thus had little formal musical training when Les Célans, an oriental symphony in four parts, to a text by Gaucher, was successfully performed in Paris in 1850. It won the praise of Berlioz and established Ryer's inclination towards exotic subject matter repeated in Sacuntalia, a ballet by Gaucher played at the opera in 1858 and in La Statue, of 1861, an opera comique based on the 1001 Nights. 
Mater Wolfram of 1854, an opera comique was a tacit homage to Weber. Erostrate, commissioned for the new theater in Baden-Baden in 1862, tells the legend of how the Venus de Milo lost her arms. Within 14 years, Ryer had established himself as a minority celebrity and composed a substantial body of music, but though he lived another 46 years, only two more significant works appeared. The operas Sigurd and Salambo together represent his highest achievement as a composer. Both were first produced, produced at the Théâtre de la Monnaie in Brussels, whose management was at that time considerably more adventurous than that of the Paris Opera. Sigard was begun in the 1860s, but had to wait until 1884 to be heard, when the fact that its subject was close to that of Wagner's Ring was still not a handicap it might have been a year or two later. Ryer had chosen his material independently of Wagner and from different sources. The success of Seagard was considerable, and it put Ryer's name high in public esteem. Salambo of 1890 enjoyed equal success both in Brussels and in France, a success also due to the sumptuousness of its setting and the singing of Rose Caron. Both works survived in the repertory for 50 years. Ryer's preferred music was that of Gluck, Weber, Schumann, and Berlioz. He had been close to Berlioz in his last years and remained a staunch advocate of his music at a time when it was almost unheard in Paris. He also held Wagner's music in admiration. Ryer's music draws on the French tradition of delicately colored scoring with this oriental flavor, to be seen also in David, Gounod, Delib, and Bizet. At the same time, it has, especially in the last two operas, a breadth and weight that relate more closely to Meyerbeer and Verdi. His fondness for triplets and static bass lines is almost a mannerism. He took particular pains over his orchestration, which is some compensation for his lack of true melodic distinction. Indeed, all his work was painstaking and disciplined, despite being accused of amateurishness by his critics. He had a sternly independent spirit and a scorn for what he saw as debased styles. As a composer, he was perhaps too conscious of what he did not want to be to establish a positive individuality. In this respect, one can see Ryer's work as a critic in fundamental opposition to his work as a composer, despite the sincerity and constancy of his ideas for which he earned the widest respect. Undoubtedly, too, his activity as a critic accounts for the small output of his later years. His articles appeared over a span of 40 years. Emile Henriot said of Ryer, the critic, his writing is, like his music, very literary, more literary than musical, more poetic than technical. 
there lies perhaps the source of his genius. He was more a poet than a musician, perhaps even more a painter than a poet. He distrust, distrusted progressive ideas, especially uncritical Wagnerism. He opposed, for example, the introduction of valved brass instruments. He was elected to the Institute in 1876, and from 1866 until his death was the librarian of the opera, a duty to which he seems to have paid scant attention. The All Music Guide lists two recordings of his operas, Salambo and Sigard, one recording of his choral work, Les Salam, and twelve recordings of what the All Music Guide refers to as miscellaneous pieces. In my show notes is a link to a YouTube performance of the Overture to Ryer's Sigard, performed by the Choir and Philharmonic Orchestra of Paris, conducted by Manuel Rosenthal. That wraps episode number 157. My show notes, along with links to artist websites, recording label websites, YouTube videos of artist performances, are all posted on my Facebook page, The Musical Universe of Professor Hurst. Next week, I'll be interviewing Nashville-based country singer-songwriter Sully Bright. We will be talking about his debut album coming out on October 13th. Other upcoming interviews include Madison, Wisconsin-based Chicago blues musician Joe Nosick, New York City-based jazz saxophonist Quinson Nachoff, Czech Republic-based singer-songwriter Tony Rose, and country Americana singer-songwriter Mike Thomas. So don't touch that dial. If you have questions, comments, or a suggestion of an artist, composer, or musical style for me to consider, you may email me at h-u-r-s-t-c at u-w-m dot e-d-u. So until next time, this is Professor Craig W. Hurst and Carmel the Wonder Dog signing off from the musical universe of Professor Hurst. Have a great day.